We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This week's episode of the Wombo Combo is sponsored by Untuck It. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Wombo Combo Podcast. Dota 2 Competitive Podcast. I'm Breaking CBK, joined by BSJ as always. Welcome and thanks for joining us. BSJ, how are you? How are your holidays, man? How are you doing? They've been busy, man. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with like the sleep and everything, but you know, it's good. It's all spending time with family and such. You just got to make sure you get all the stuff done. You know what I mean? Yeah. How about yours? Uh, doing doing very well. Actually, spent time with family, of course, and it's obviously a good thing to a uh, good time for that with the holidays. My wife's family specifically, and uh, I, I I actually grinded a bit about a bit of Dota too. Believe it or not, <laughs> I played really? a lot of Dota too over the holidays. You've played more Dota two than I have. <laughs> You've watched a lot of Dota two, to be fair. Yes, that's been. I happening. have watched a lot. <laughs> By the way, that is absolutely true. Real quickly, your mic. I don't know if you're using the correct mic. It sounds like it's coming okay. through a little rough. Um, yeah, it was happening earlier, too. Let me check real quick. Yeah, it almost sounds like the webcam mic right there. Want to make sure we can hear you in all your wisdom, of course, and the clearness Good. that is. So, how, how is that? Is that, that, is, that is so much better, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I just plugged my mic or my webcam back in, so it definitely must have defaulted somehow to my to my webcam mic. All good. All good, man. Well, we're happy to have you once again, obviously coming back from the holidays. And again, in your case, it was a little unique. Were you out there for Christmas or you were back before that? No, we got back like the 23rd ish. But, you know, it's one of those where he got back on the 23rd, but been traveling for 20 hours. So Mm -hmm. wasn't exactly like I had like a day of recovery entirely Uh, for whatever reason. When I got there. My sleeping schedule was completely normalized within like the first day or two. Nice. But since I've gotten back, I have not 
been able to string together a normal night of sleep so far. So, you know, cross my fingers that that eventually happens. But well, as of now, it has not. <laughs> well, you got New Year's coming up, so you can just stay up all night for that anyways and ruin your sleep schedule once again. Coming yeah, up that's right the here, spirit. So. There you go. Uh, yeah, obviously, being in Singapore, though, that's what we're getting at. So for those that are maybe a little bit confused, VSJ was out in Singapore for the 1E Sports Dota 2 World Pro Invitational. One of the longest tournament names ever. But the point is Indeed. a great event, and at least we, we expected that going into it and definitely had some fun results. But first thing, real quickly, something I didn't even realize, and this was brought up by a friend of mine, uh, 1E Sports, so the organizers – if I'm not mistaken, they're, they're one sports, which is actually there are some sports company over in the Philippines, I believe. Even, yes, they are located in Southeast Asia. I know that much. Yeah. And they do like, you know, from MMA to just whatever, some big sporting event. So that's something that I think was almost underlooked coming into this. That This was a pretty big deal as far as the sponsorship of this event. Yeah, they had like a. A get together gathering at, at TI9. So um, I got to have a brief preview to the fact that they were going to be participating in the Dota season, but obviously it was not my reveal to take part in or whatever. But uh, I think they're also hosting the major later on this season. I think they did the announce that. Yeah. So they're the, they're they're heavily investing into the esports scene and making sure that. Uh, they are taking they're, they're coming in hot you know they're not just <laughs> casually taking a dip in the in the water they are full full force and it, i'm excited it's always fun to have new investors and new people that seem interested coming from other realms especially like you said they are regular sports so could yeah. be a nice crossover for the scene there yeah, and of course in the Philippines, we know the fan base out there. And I'm sure in Singapore you're, yourself, you can, um, you know, you, you can suggest that being at the event, being a caster there. What, what was it like with the fans there and everything? It seems like that's that's definitely a rowdy fan base. Yeah, no, they were. It, I love I love the two SEA events I've done in my career so far. They're definitely just very passionate. They just enjoy esports in a very pure way, you know, uh, that's really the way I describe it. They're just very genuine. They're just excited to be there. They love watching Dota. And I think that it's just really quite unique to see that. And I love it. Yeah. So I, th I thoroughly enjoyed the fans. They, I had like a small little get together for anyone who wanted to meet me. And, and it's like, it didn't, it didn't have to be that many people. They just showed up and they were all super fun. You know, the way they take, they want to take pictures. They're just super excited to, to just, you can just tell they are happy to be there in general. And there's like, yeah, I love your stream. Or like one of them even gave me like a Chylon Quad t-shirt, you know, just stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't remember ever getting a Chylon Quad t-shirt from someone that wasn't an SCA fan. So quite a unique little bunch. That's awesome. And of course, they had a reason to be even a little more excited, perhaps, I guess, I guess I could say going into the event, TNC just coming off their major victory, you know, maybe one of the favorite teams in it. It didn't necessarily play out that way. TNC, they made it out of groups, but they did get knocked out early on. To be fair, it was Davici Gaming who ended up going all the way from the lower side of the bracket to then win the whole event, taking out EG in the finals, three games to nothing. Talk about a very good run for them. And, and again, we, we mentioned this really that – 
this was an event of major caliber. We know that the DPC points weren't on the line, of course, but a $500,000 prize bowl, which definitely is a lot of money, as well as the amount of, or the, the list of teams that were there, including a team like Team Secret, who this was their, really their first big event themselves of the season. Uh, really cool to see. Uh, really cool to see going in, and the, the hype was real. But how about Vici Gaming, man? I mean, 3 nothing over Evil Geniuses, the run that they had. This team continues to impress out of China. Yeah, they just steamrolled the event. They really seemed to just get, grasp what was going on. The, yeah, they came out of the lower bracket from the group stage, meaning that they got third or fourth in their group. Uh, so by no means did they just clean sweep the entire tournament. But, you know, I, I got to have the privilege of casting a few of their series during the main event, and they just always seem to have the draft upper hand. They just seem to understand how to deal with these meta heroes. And the way that I compared to the way TNC seemed to understand like the morphling shakers of last patch and Vici just really seemed to have their grasp on the pucks, the dooms, the vipers. Uh, they, they really seem to have a clear cut plan on how to play them very well. If they first pick them themselves or how to effectively counter them. Some of the other teams were kind of just by the end of the tournament, still doing their own thing. And I think by that point, if somebody else has really adjusted their thing to fit the meta and you kind of just keep doing your own thing, it's going to favor the team that's made the adjustments. And Vici clearly made the best adjustments over the course of the entire tournament. And that's the best part about being a caster at that kind of event. Mm -hmm. Since you're forced to just watch every game pretty much, you do see like the subtle adjustments that these teams make after they lose a game. You know, they you see them lose a game. You see how they come into the next series or the next game itself. And Vici was by far the best at that. And even though they came out of the group stage in the lower bracket, they just clean sweeped that, that playoffs. Yeah, I got to say props to you as well, by the way. You sent out that tweet after the event suggesting, what was it, 500 likes, and you would do the the insight for the drafts, and then you're like, wait, no, 1,000, and you got like thousands of likes as a result? Yeah, I've never I've, – I've only had two tweets in my entire career that I ever got more than 1,000 likes, and it was that <laughs> one in my TI8 draft analysis offering. So I guess it, it is quite humbling, and I do appreciate how much people enjoy – that I do that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I already did make the video and yeah. been getting good responses. So I enjoy doing it. And uh, it, it was just for whatever reason from that tournament, I was just like, I really want to do this if people want it. You know, uh, I just felt like the drafts were, it's a new patch. People are not sure what they're watching. Yeah, they know the OP heroes, but they want to know you know, what's going on with drafting in this new patch? You know, what are teams thinking? And that was, that was the goal of that. So I was glad to see how interested people were in, in having that content created. Definitely. Yeah. It was, I, I got to check it out a little bit of it myself and uh, it, it was, it was fun to listen to. And I, I agree with you. I, I think that that's one of those things that the content, is lacking and it's understandable right like obviously you don't expect teams to be going over oh this is why we drafted this hero on this but like they don't want to give away their strategies but uh somebody as yourself who you're more you're more from the outside and analyst of course on the casting side of things you can uh you know pick up on these uh on these cues as far as what the teams are looking at potentially and uh, bringing the content to light. I know there was, God, was it Heen? I want to say he did something a couple of years back. I don't know if it was for yeah, T. Did. I remember this. Yeah. Their TI run or something, but I remember that again happening and like the reaction was great, of course. So, but it really is content that that certainly lacks. So definitely a, props for myself and um, obviously many, many out there. Hopefully uh, every single tournament now, BSJ, you're going to be the guy that, that reviews all the drafts. All right. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll see. I'll see if people like it. You know, in terms of, uh, I'll probably do a similar tweet for any event that I'm at, and we'll see how people respond to it. Well, like I've had events where, like, I, I usually have above fifty percent when I'm predicting the the result of the game, but that specific tournament, it just felt like the drafts were very clear who won, and uh, and the in new patches, especially, I think when teams win the draft, it's even more beneficial just because people are going to mess up. And if they have the naturally better draft, their game plan is going to kind of fall into place more naturally. And so at the start of new patches, I think it naturally benefits teams with a better draft even more so than it usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I think in this patch specifically, it, it was a lot of the, like a lot of the panel and stuff. We were just talking before the game started on camera and it's just like, it felt like pretty much everyone was on the same page of what they expected to happen in the game. And that that's when you know that uh, the draft does tell you a story. And I think that's really important for the average viewer to be able to see that story and then be able to watch it play out. Yeah, of course. It's a big part of the game. No, no doubt. And like you were touching on, I mean, obviously right after such a massive patch that took place, uh, even more reason for the insight uh, being necessary and people wanting to, to understand why certain things are happening. Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or even too big. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Well, kind of kind of delving into that a little further, I guess, you know, focusing on this event being the first big one post patch, um, you know, we, we could look at the stats specifically and maybe maybe a couple of cues that were really picked up on uh, me personally. I, I felt like just kind of a general blanket statement is it, it really felt like that this was a this is a patch just from this event, at least of, of very aura heavy, very, you know, fighting together a lot of action of course objective based with the outpost introduction and bounty runes and the new placements i don't think it's that surprising but you know we even see heroes like viper for example that's not necessarily the strongest carry throughout the game but he's one that can win his dominate his lane and then you can play around him earlier on so a tiny and puck were the top two most picked heroes tiny by far by the way over puck and it goes down from there so again these heroes that really insist on going for action we don't necessarily see a lot of these sit back and farm heroes like your anti-mage uh phantom assassins whatever yeah it's very situational if you're ever going to pull those off anti-mage was really the only one we saw i don't really know if it had a high win rate i think it overall the games i saw did not do too well the thing I see about Anti-Mage is like one little slip up, even if you're having a really good start and the hero seems to just lose. Um, pretty much just low cooldown fighting. You need to at all times be able to fight. And heroes that can't fight very well just don't operate in, the, in this meta. Too many objectives, too many things on the map to get. Even just the neutral items. You, you're fighting for territory. You're fighting for the ability to farm wherever you can on the map. And... 
Uh, I think that's the big part that changed is I don't like a lot of people are so concerned about what the neutral items offer and how broken they are and stuff. I more so just treat them as an objective. Both teams get them. And it's a matter of, you know, making sure you hit your power spike with them. You know, they, they come out of 15 minutes. Make sure you are winning enough fights to farm and and uh, get those neutral items. Then what if the other team ganks you, knowing yeah. that you're going to try to farm? You know, it's another objective to play around. And I think to some extent, you know, at the start of the patch, it was way too much. The outposts every five minutes and such. But they've they've toned it down, I think, really well. Yeah, they're finding a balance, certainly. And that is an interesting way to look at it, too. And again, something we certainly saw in the event is, uh, like, it's one thing in your pub games. Like, I noticed that in my pub games where, you know, it's it's like eight and a half, nine minutes into the game. And I'm like, guys, we don't have any tier one items. Wait, we should be in the jungle. In the pro games, you'll see the players literally make a point at seven minutes to be in the jungle, start farming those stacks, or if there's not one, just a general jungle and making sure to get those tier one items as soon as possible so there really are these marks now the seven minutes tier one items at the 10 minutes the outpost 15 tier two you know it's every five to seven minutes or so that you really have something specific to do now in dota and again that as a result i think is is fair to say kind of makes action a lot more potent uh when it comes to the uh the gameplay itself so um, and again, that really does reflect in the heroes. Like I'm looking at the top 10 heroes that were played at this event. It is just all really heroes that want to fight earlier on than later. I mean, maybe Morphling of that top 10, the one that I guess you could argue not really, but he certainly can bring plenty to the table if fights are to brought to break out there. Yeah, the main thing is not necessarily heroes that want to fight all the time. They just have to be capable of fighting because okay. if you're not capable of fighting, then the opponent's just going to force it down your throat and you, you're going to be just playing dodge game all the game and they're going to be taking a bunch of objectives you have to at least have the threat of fighting them so that either you can fight them or they're scared of fighting you you know one or one or the other so like with heroes like morphling even if he's not the best low cooldown fighter where he wants to be fighting all the time he absolutely can help his team in fights so um that is on the opposite side of a hero like phantom assassin who needs like two items in order to do enough damage to contribute to fights uh and also morphling uh very survivable on his own in the laning stage a lot of the carries that are popular right now uh they get ahead with levels like once they get level seven or eight they're really strong mm -hmm. and they just naturally bully away their offlaners so even if a carry is a bit greedier like morphling he's like a very powerful hero just by getting level eight um heroes like the pas and the specters they just don't naturally bully the offlaner even when they get a decent start. So um, those are the safe laners that we're really looking at being popular. The Slarks, the the Morphlings, you know, these heroes that just eventually they're, the offlaner is really scared to walk up. And that's that's the goal. Looking at the stats, uh, continuing on that track here, it's always fun to see, you know, win percentages of, of certain ones. And as far as some of the more popular heals, Templar Assassin really stands out, man. She was maybe like the 12th picked. 84% win percentage in 19 yeah. games. That's, that is pretty damn high. So is that something that you noticed at the event as well? I just think she fits the meta perfectly. Low cooldown fighting only takes one or two items to really do all the damage she needs to do, and she just consumes jungle. Like, she just sure. eats it for breakfast. <laughs> like, you know, no, no mid laner in the game naturally clears jungle as fast as TA while also being a threat on the map. So I think it's just she didn't receive any buffs. I think she just fits the meta perfectly. So I, I, I am honestly surprised at how good she is, but... I'm not surprised she's good. I'm just surprised <laughs> that she was able to be, she was getting like second or third picked 
and having that high of a win rate. Yeah. By the end of the tournament, teams were first overall picking her. They weren't always winning by any means, but they were not afraid to just first pick a TA. And since when have we ever seen TA yeah. just be like She's usually a 10th pick. pick? That's pretty great. Yeah, she's usually like eighth at the earliest, you know. She she has to be like a good TA game. But the hero just – the kid overall just fits the meta so well that teams are just willing to pick her super early. Yeah, one that maybe was over overvalued a little bit. So the other side of the spectrum right there, you got Shadow Fiend even played more than Templar Assassin. 28% win percentage. So didn't Ooh. do nearly as well. I think there was even some games that were we saw some safe lane Shadow Fiend amongst the mid Shadow Fiends we as well. We did see that once. We did see that once, yeah. Uh, Shadow Fiend, I think, is the same as Anti-Mage. I think um, they are very powerful in the meta. But if you mess up like one time, uh, the hero just feels really underwhelming. You kind of just throw away your advantage in one fell swoop. Like I mentioned Anti-Mage 2 just because there was like one game on Nico Baby where he he had like a 21 minute 21 minute Scotty Manta butterfly or Scotty Manta Battle Fury. And he lost because he died once to a doom. And it's like on SF, it's kind of similar what I what I noticed on SF. They're always winning their lane, they're having high impact. And if there was just some time between 20 and 30 where they lost a fight, it felt like the SF kind of just fell off. So I think that's why his win rate was relatively very low. Yeah, man. Uh, and one, one more. Uh, again, I, we could obviously talk about this for a long time, but you don't want to stay on it too much here. But this is just a personal thing. And I'm sad to see this Invoker 0-7 at this event. Oh, man, that, that hurts. I love watching this hero. I love to play this hero, but 0-7. Maybe it doesn't have it. I, I love the changes to the uh, to the new Invoke and everything as far as the leveling up. It decreases the cooldown, but... Apparently not good here, so I don't I think Quas Exhort's a bit too greedy, and I think Quas Wex doesn't do enough damage for the current meta. I think the heroes that are good in this in the other core roles are just good against Invoker. I think that's really what it boils down to. I also think his laning stage is pretty much he's gonna lose to any popular mid laner right now. Like the Vipers, the TAs, the Pucks, they're all just gonna dumpster him. Okay. And that's like just not gonna cut it in terms of uh I'm, I, I mean, I'm kind of shocked he didn't win a single game, right? It's kind of like when I said I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised he's not good. Kind of like I'm not surprised that TA is good, but sure. I'm, I am surprised at how good TA was, and I am surprised at how bad Invoker was. But uh, definitely does not fit the meta based on what we've been talking about. Is kind of the prime strategy overall. Yeah. Um. Here, let me. I don't know if you have the Dota buff up, but what one other thing actually I think would be fun to. Uh, look at is there was what what was this six so uh, that's 18 18 heroes were not seen at the event it, I, a trend of a couple of these heroes that i find interesting because with the idea of all these objectives you'd figure maybe there's a reason for them and things like the courier pickoffs a powerful strategy now bounty hunter ricky clinks these invis focus heroes none of them were picked at all um, again, there's 18 in total. Those are kind of a trend that I noticed that weren't picked. Is, of these 18, are there any that really stand out to you? I guess it's more 16 because Void Spirit and Snapfire can't be picked. But Okay, uh, so here's the overall trending that I think is really bad in this patch right now. First off, I'll highlight that Jug is just a really bad hero. Yeah, he's... Um, that's, that's first and foremost. Secondly, offlaners are very vulnerable to having really bad starts. Um, Trilands are kind of back, at least the threat of them. So a hero like Axe, who's very feast or famine, not going to be very good this patch uh, for the most part. I, I tried him out a couple times. It felt very underwhelming. Um, any hero that has damage issues in the mid game, I mentioned the PA Spectre. Um, 
even a hero like Visage, uh, until he gets level 12, does pretty underwhelming damage. Witch Doctor is a bit of a surprise to me, um, but Pudge significantly nerfed when they removed his ability to kill himself in the laning stage. Uh, I mean, it's all game, but it was main in the laning stage. Yeah. You die to rot at least once or twice. Um, and the another set of heroes I want to talk about: Spectre, Tinker, Arc Warden. Uh, these heroes they want a they want a turtle, and that's not good. This patch tier five items, man. You're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've definitely lost a 30k net worth lead by the time these heroes you know get to where they want to go, and that's just like. That's just the problem with like the turtle metas. There's just too many objectives to be taken. And the other carries, you know, I already mentioned PA, but like the Luna, Lunas of the world, they kind of just take too many items in comparison to the other carries. Like they, I think she would need like one or like two, one or two big items in order to fight while these other carries need like drums and, yeah. and they're ready to, ready to fight, you know? So uh, I think that really what boils down to the meta is just taking too long to come online. I've, surprisingly, I played like six pubs yesterday, and I had five rookies in them. Um, I think hmm. that, like you know, and they were good players playing. You know, like my last game had Arteezy rookie in it and stuff. So clearly, NA uh, has seen some, some potential in this hero that was unpicked. Um, the hero was pretty drastically reworked, so I'm not surprised that he might actually be decent, and he just wasn't seen at this event at all. Sure, uh, but. Invis, I think, it just goes down in value simply because people are more inclined to be grouped up right now because of all the objectives. You're very often grouped as three or four. And these other heroes that are alone are like, if you're a Ricky, they're just like a troll warlord who has 15, 20 armor at, you know, 15 minutes in the game. And you're just not killing that guy. So um, it's very hard to make them work and if you're going to pick them they have to be later on in the draft and then you have to make the argument why are they better than just any other hero right so yeah that's that that's always the one that really does it and i think that's kind of like i i too was surprised to see the witch doctor specifically uh standing out there but that's kind of random it, it's kind of but again maybe it is just one of those cases of there's just better options more comfortable options it's not that he's bad necessarily right now but uh he was not picked up in this event so um all right uh so focusing still keeping topic on the event itself outside of the stat side of things um a couple more talking points is mentioned vg gaming winning all looking good doing so um now evil geniuses they they made it to the finals they got stomped not okay not stomped it's probably a little too strong but they lost it three nothing in the end of the grand finals yet another example that they get so close and they can't close it out. I know this is not a DPC event, but I, I feel like with this having the, the team list in it that I did and being able to get so close in the first place that, man, when is this team going to be able to get over this hump of actually winning an event of this prestige, especially um, it's, is it ever going to happen <laughs> at this rate? I, I, I just don't know if I can see it, but they were so close yet again, right here, but still coming up short. Uh, I I think I talked about this in one of our early podcast episodes. Uh, I really don't understand in regards to they're just really good players, um, very smart players. You know, a lot of success spread across these players. But I've watched EG uh, across lands for the last, you know, two years or whatever. The fact is they just don't adjust over the course of the tournament. They come into the tournament with a core strategy. They execute it very well. They're very good. 
and the other teams like Vici adjust over the course of the meta and they learn how to deal with EG's drafts, right? And so what happens is EG's just bound to be good enough to make it to the top and then have one or two teams figure them out and then they lose. It happens every tournament. That's They just don't change their strategy over the course of it and that leads to them by pure skill and uh, understanding of Dota outplaying and having their strategy carry them to like somewhere between second and fifth. And then they lose because it, that way of approaching the game, in my opinion, is just not good enough to get first. That's pretty much what I think. And I, it's amazing to me that it still works that way for them. Like for me, when I watch these type of players, it blows my mind when I watch like crit stream, you know, yeah. and I'm just like, wow, this guy is so good. Like, holy crap. And then you watch them in the tournament setting and they look so good. And then in the like last two series, whether it's the third place game or the finals in this case, they're just underwhelming. And it really shows how important strategy is in Dota. That's really what I emphasize. Any traditional sports fans tuning in, uh, NFL specifically, comparison I like to make is to the Buffalo Bills, man. Four years in a row, they made it to the Super Bowl, losing all four years in a row. It really is. It just feels like it's obviously, in this case, not making it to necessarily the finals every time, but getting so freaking close. And we know that they are definitely worthy of it, but they just cannot get over that last time. So that's, They are in finals contention every yeah, single time. It feels yeah. like it. Yeah, they, they never really have that disappointment in the sense of getting knocked out early, right? I can't think off the top of my head, at least, the last time when, I mean, I'm, maybe it has happened once or twice before, but overall, it feels like, again, they always make it deep, at least. I mean, hell, you look at this event, talking on jumping into that side of things, uh, this was the first event we also got to see LGD, and they didn't even make it out of groups alongside Team Liquid, by the way, who was also pretty disappointing to see not make it out of groups. And I know you were even hyping them up, talking about this seems like a good patch for them now, and obviously coming off a good qualifier there that they had in the European qualifiers for the major. But LGD, going back to them, though, man, um, are you concerned from what you saw from them, or do you think this is going to be a, you know, it's a first event, let's not overreact? I'm going to be genuinely honest with you, and I think that uh, a lot of organizations, um, I talked to, you know, I'm pretty good buddies with with Blitz, the coach for Liquid, uh, and I'm, I'm using this to answer your question about LGD as well, that teams are realizing that if they want to be good for TI and if they want to be good for the majors, that it's just too much to ask of their players to constantly be at 100% for the entire year. Hmm. Um, Liquid, straight up, they they basically told me they won the qualifiers and they felt really good. And they all had like family that they wanted to spend time with for the holidays. And they just didn't practice at all for this event. And part of them was like almost regretting signing up for this event. The only reason they signed up for it was because there were good teams. And this was right. They signed up for it right after TI where they were nervous about making sure they had a decent season, you know, um, and they were able to get their exposure and practice that they needed to compete with these better teams. And for me, it's like, I hear this, and when I was on competitive teams looking to go to tournaments about two years ago, this just wasn't the mentality of really anybody. And I think teams are realizing that taking care of their players is really what it means to have the longevity and have the uh, 
basically people want to disband. Yeah. The endurance. There you go. That's, that's a good word that I would be looking for. And I think with a team like LGD, you know, they, I don't talk to them because obviously they, for the most part, they don't speak English, but like, I have to assume to some degree, it's just that, you know, that they probably made some like boot camp or practice schedule to uh, go for the major. And then they just get bumped out in a best of one (laughs) and the, and the open qualifiers. And they're like, okay, let's go spend time with our family. You know, like I'm sure that's what happened. I, I I just have to believe because like it, it really does prove how current you have to stay with Dota though. Like how good of a player you could be. And if you just take two weeks off on a new patch that you're just going to look so weak compared to similar caliber players, right? Like you're just going to look so bad. And that's, that speaks to me volumes about the game of Dota itself rather than about these players. Like I know for a fact, liquid is going to boot camp really hard for like the two weeks before the major. And I'm confident that they'll look at their old form. Do I, am I confident that they'll win or whatever? No, but like, I am confident that they'll look way better at the major than they will at that tournament. That's fair. No, it's and that also obviously opens up the the other discussion of there's no off season really when it comes to these seasons and how I mean the season itself has been adjusting ever since three years ago that it was even created. And then before that, it was just all third-party tournaments that led into TI, and it was just as chaotic anyways in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, it is it is a tough spot, and that, that is an interesting perspective for a team like Liquid here uh, specifically. LGD, yeah, they, they got knocked out in a best-of-one open qualifier. So, again, they, they did take a break, obviously, for the first cycle there and then came back figuring that they would be fine for the second cycle. And whoopsie. Um, Sure, there's still stuff that may need to be done when when you look at the overall length of the season and the expectations of these players, and they are human after all, blah, blah, blah. But on the other side of it, then, again, they're competing for literally millions of dollars at a lot of these events, so it is it is also hard to sit back and say, you know, you feel sorry for a lot of these players. But for the health of the scene moving forward and the overall uh, wanting to see it continue to succeed and continue to only get better, I do think certainly uh, changes uh, likely need to happen when it comes to the length of the season and how it's ran uh, throughout. But again, it feels like with the adjustments that we've had from year to year that Valve is trying at least to go in the right direction in the long run, but... It's going to take time. I think my major perspective for my from what I see is that it's becoming harder and harder to be the best because there's just so many good players and so many good teams out there. People are just getting so much better at Dota. Like uh, there's really no other way to simply word it, right? And I think because of that, it takes that much more effort to be in peak form in terms of being able to compete in tournaments. And I think that because that's just going up more and more the demand to to for what it takes to make it mm-hmm. is just continuously increasing that it's just becoming harder and, and more and more impossible to do that always like it, it's it's just that's that's a combined factor with what we've already said yeah. and I, I like it really does take playing 60 to 70 hours a week to be on peak form <laughs> that's crazy, like that's yeah. what it takes now tell a guy to do that 52 weeks a year, you know, like <laughs> the, God, you know, like, is that really even worth it at that point? Like you're just going to be miserable. So I think like for, I think it's, there is going to be a balance and potentially players are doing it too much, but um, 
to some extent, it, it does have to do with just how much better the competition is getting and how quickly it is getting better. Yeah, I think that's hey, amazing. And again, to, to that, to both of our points, I think too. Again, to be fair, this was a third-party tournament, so these yeah. teams had the choice to go to this or not. It's not like they were forced for part of the DPC. Absolutely. So when it comes to third-party events, you know that's that is on the team and the players and the management, whatever. So that's their decision. And if they're over time now, as you pointed out with Liquid's case. Obviously, circumstances maybe uh, changed a little bit right there. LGD more so, I guess, but still. Um, well, they it, just it weren't sure if they're going to be qualifying for majors, yeah. right? For instance, so if you take that, if you take that in August, and you're not sure if you're going to be qualifying for majors, and then you feel like, yeah, we're looking good this season, we're going to be in every major, and then you're like, so when do we take time off? <laughs> like, you know, like what if they weren't in this next major? I'm sure they would have treated this tournament like a major. You know, like that's sure. what it would have been for them. Um, but then it's just all I'm saying is, yeah, they're volunteering to go to this tournament. But by the time that you actually go to the tournament between the time that you chose to go to the tournament for any of these teams, so much can happen. It's just like with LGD. I'm sure when they accepted this tournament, they weren't expecting to have been knocked out of the, the open qualifiers no. for the major at that point. So a lot can drastically affect your mental state or your team's like motivation going into an event between the time that you accepted it and when you are actually going. So it's just, it, it's a very fluid system that they have in Dota, you know, with these teams. <laughs> like, it, it's so hard to wrap your head around, even as somebody who's like a part of it, you know, and talking to them, it, it seems like people are still figuring out for themselves what they think is best. How often should we take time off? How often do we need to be in peak form? You know, what's, is it better to be playing 60 hours a week half the year and basically zero the other half or is it be better to like constantly play 40 you know what is better um you're investing the same amount of time but what is better and i think teams are realizing that it is better to just binge like it actually is just better to binge and you can't do that all the time so i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up there but i do yeah. think it's something that it is a it is to some extent an experiment for these players to be trying to figure out what's the optimal route to consistent performance in tournaments. All right. Well, for those tuning in uh, to the live show, this is our last show of the, uh, of the 2019 year, of course. And well, I guess for uh, people, and of the decade of the day. De <laughs> that's yeah. So that's true Easy to think, right? of the decade as well. It is. It's crazy, man. I mean, you think this this decade when it comes to when it comes to Dota two, it's what it was officially. Beta was in two thousand ten, I want to say, uh, for the most part. So it's pretty much has filled there. the whole decade, yeah. Because Ti uh, one was two thousand eleven, so it probably yeah, wasn't two thousand ten. I started playing in two thousand twelve, so to think where okay. my life's gone in the last eight to ten years is pretty crazy. Yeah, just the <laughs> the the little small decisions you make that pretty much dictate the rest of your life it can always be insane when you look back on it in a scope of eight to ten years, man. It's it, it is, and obviously for uh, so many players involved in this game or spectators and and everything have been uh, whether they've been playing it just casually or watching competitive scene or playing in competitive scene, it's obviously done done great things uh, as far as entertainment goes. Uh, for a lot of us, but what I was getting at there was that what we wanted to do being the last uh, show of the uh, of the year slash the decade as well. Um, 
wanted to kind of look back a little bit at 2019 and uh, give our opinions or, you know, so some of the look backs as far as what happened throughout the year that really stood out as we do head into 2020 now. Uh, 2020. That, that itself is still crazy to say to me. 2020 is here. Yep. <laughs> it seems it like is. 2000 was so recently. Uh, I'm, I'm an old man, though. What, what can I say? Um, all right. So I figured, you know, starting off strong, starting off with the the obvious of 2019 and what uh, what really stood out was, well, the the repeat OG taking TI9 after winning TI8. The double fluke for OG happens. Uh, they win both uh, the TIs back to back. No, obviously very deserving. I, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that that was even a possibility um, in this game because so much can happen from we were just talking about earlier in the show from the drafts and you have to really be feeling at that patch. You have to be playing well those couple of days, specifically in TI's case, to do it back to back years absolutely crazy um and in my mind and obviously there's a little bit of bias with this probably one of the great one of the greatest achievements in all of esports let alone dota 2 when you think of the magnitude of this event of course i mean it's just i think when they won ti8 people kind of questioned was it a fluke you know did the stars just align not a fluke in the sense that they're bad but in the sense that like was their way of approaching Dota really that optimal or was it just perfect for that patch? And I think by winning this TI, they have forced everyone at the highest level as well as in the community to reflect upon what this team does that nobody else does. How have they been able to accomplish this so convincingly too at mm-hmm. TI9, right? It was convincing. Um, they were clearly the best team at that tournament. And... It's, it's honestly just beautiful. I love watching them play. I love watching the overall mentality that that team has. And I think that the effect that they have on the community in terms of what they represent for competitive Dota, what they represent for like the team atmosphere is nothing but good. And I think it's in a lot of ways, a person like no tail is just a very pure individual. He just loves the game. He's a good guy. He's ha- like, he just wants everyone else to enjoy the game as much as he does you know it's just like i I use the word pure there's really no better word (laughs) for me and i and i and i love that about it's like they are somebody that you want to root for and that's really cool so that's that's what really stood out to me yeah it's it it, i I know we we could do this for a lot of teams too if we really thought about it but i don't know at the same time i feel like og has just the most unique storylines with their players too and as far as the diversity like right you have Thompson two years ago we didn't even know who the hell this guy was he was an average streamer less viewers than you bsj right before he went to tia and all of a sudden he's winning ti and ti9 he's just one. Obviously you have Seb in his situation going from coach to then being an offlaner for the team. You know, until you mentioned back in the Honda is just a pure player and how much uh, he's been through over the years. Anna, of course, like, Oh, Hey guys, I'm here. Let's win. All right. Bye. I'm leaving. Oh, and I'm coming back for TI nine. All right. Bye. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. The, this whole team. Anna is just a prodigy. I'm just going to be honest. That guy is just gifted by no means by taking away the fact that he put in a lot of hard work and stuff, but nobody else in the world could just play party queue with his girlfriend and, and just win. <laughs> so that's all the, that's all I got to say about Ana, man. That guy's just a, a piece of work in the most 
honorable, like in the nicest way I could possibly mean a piece of work. So. Yeah. I can't wait for OG to be back. <laughs> I'm sure a lot yeah. of people agree. Obviously taking off the second. I'm more so looking well. forward to TI 10 in that regard of anything, you know, sure. Like, uh, like, let's see them do it, not even about three peat. I just want to like, if they do it, they do it. But I, I just love watching them at TI specifically. It's such a unique tournament, its own dynamic. Um, a lot of the players really do say like, it's about who messes up the least at, at TI every other tournament. It's not reliable to mess up, to rely on other teams to mess up. But at, at TI, everyone just plays so much worse is pretty much what everyone <laughs> says. So it's like, who can just bring in the clutch? Who can play their normal level of Dota? Who can treat this like any other pub game? And that's so much easier said than done, right? It's just so funny to think that, I'm not saying this is going to happen by any means, but the idea of OG could literally not play this whole season and then show up for the qualifiers for TI, qualify for TI, and they would have to be one of, if not the favorite team to win TI-10. I mean, <laughs> to the back-to-back -back sure. champions, they had they had crazy runs in the first uh, two years. It's, you know, an amazing accomplishment of what they've done. And obviously that goes back a couple of years even, but still, it's just uh, OG winning TI-9, like I said, not only for Dota 2, but just really esports in general was, uh, th that certainly deserves a moment of the decade. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. For them. Um, a couple other talking points from TI9 specifically, of course, the massive event that it is, the biggest prize pool to date for anything as far as esports goes. Uh, well, is it still actually? I just said that because I know I know Fortnite did do the – well, that, that's – okay, let's not get into that topic. Uh, anyways, Virtus Pro finishing 9th through 12th at TI9 and then ultimately disbanding as a team essentially. Obviously, Solo and No One are still part of the squad, but uh, Roger, uh, Ramses, and – Pasha all going other directions and but I bring this up because let's not forget VP for those two years for going to TI8 even and now to TI9 those two years they were one of if not the most dominant team in Dota 2 they they had crazy success at the majors uh, I know this last season it was more secret was the number one seed overall I believe but they were the second seed uh, there's reasons to believe that this is a team that you know was finally going to break through and at least get something like a top three if not win at all but man another disappointing performance we talk about eg having disappointing performances virtus pro i think i think you could actually say they they were even more disappointing in a lot of ways yeah i think that just is the complete opposite of og where they bring their worst game for for ti that's just what they do i hate to say it but that's what they do they they treat they they are unable to treat it like any other game like any other tournament and they let it get to them they clearly had some like personal issues between players and it just shows like the the impact of playing a tournament of the magnitude of TI can have on some of the best players in the world. Like that's and that's why that like I think what they do in contrast to what OG does is just proof of how hard it is to do what OG does. Mm -hmm. That these other players can try and they just fail to accomplish exactly what OG is able to do in these tournaments or in these TIs. So pretty crazy to me personally I, I more so think that their failures highlight the success of og if anything sure uh infamous finishing seventh and eighth at ti9 the one last uh, storyline i think from ti9 specifically um to worth bringing up at least and you know it's seventh and eighth okay whatever but it's more so 
South America region in general. And that this was really the first time where everyone's like, okay, South America is starting now to really become a region of their own. Let's start actually respecting them a bit more and maybe have some higher expectations as far as what do they bring to the table at the uh, at the coming seasons, including this one. Now, obviously, so far this season maybe hasn't necessarily uh, been the greatest follow-up, but there's still a long season ahead of us. And uh, th this was nothing but positive, though, it's fair to say, for, for South America, Dota, and the future that it holds. I just like to see that uh, people even myself included to some extent, originally started by saying, God, why are we giving this region a slot? Like, they're just so bad. And it f then led to, like, wow, everyone's just so happy to see that this region's competitive. Yeah. And instead of being, like, bitching about them being in the tournaments, they're more so, like, rooting for them to prove themselves. And I think that that change in dynamic is really healthy for the scene and really cool to see. I think that's the highlight for me is the fact that people are so excited for them to do well, I, th I think is the best part about it. And kind of similar topic, uh, Southeast Asia Dota has obviously been a bit more respected in recent years, but uh, TNC winning the major the first one of the season uh, certainly helped even jump that that much more when it comes to uh, competitive Dota in the Southeast Asia region. Uh, again, we'll see how they continue to follow things up, but I still think a worthy moment uh, that happened uh, throughout this year. Oh, absolutely. I, if anything, come on, NA. We need, we need to, <laughs> when we do our 2020 review, I want to see the one major sure. that NA has won, man, because as of now, it's, that's it's, right. Uh, it's pretty damn scarce if, you know, I believe it's a fat zero, but, uh, May correct me if I'm wrong on that one. I, you know, I'm sitting here like looking at my ceiling now, like pondering. I, I can't, I, yeah, I can't think of one that they have one. Um, I, Maybe there's been a couple of play Wasn't Moomeander on one of the OG squads? On OG, that yeah. He was on OG when they won majors. So but... I guess player-wise or technically. Yeah, we have a we have a player that's a major <laughs> winner. That, that's what we got going for us. There you go. Uh... But, yeah, no, I just think that a lot of regions are proving themselves, and sadly NA is not really one of them. But uh, yeah. at the same time, I, I just like to see that it's up for grabs, you know? That that's what I that's what I'm rooting for is that competition breeds growth and now my goal from this growth would be that the level of growth we're seeing in the competitive scene can be seen in the player base but uh, that's a whole other topic in and of itself. Uh, and then one other moment that stood out to me, if there's more, feel free to uh, to bring them up as well. But Vici Gaming of last season, more so, how they won both the minor and the major in back to back. Uh, cycle or in the same cycle right there obviously you guys resolved one of the minor they then qualified for the major and they went on to win that as well i mean that's impressive to go that that month straight of defeating the top tier teams in dota 2 and uh taking home said prizeful purse and dpc points uh, as a result of course invictus gaming came pretty close this last cycle getting third place at the major after looking very good in the uh in the minor but certainly think it's uh something as well that's worth pointing out that happened throughout the year yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, more so like the teams at the major have more information on you because you just want a minor. So they have, you know, 12 or 15 games or something of you playing this patch. So it's even more impressive to me that they're able to kind of reveal what they do best and then still make it that far in the tournament. All right. So as far as memorable moments go, those are the uh, on the list that I had right there. Um, 
roster moves of the year, I figured would be another fun one to kind of take a look at. We've, we've already talked about a couple of them. VP more so than anything as uh, obviously VP had the blow up there of Pasha, Ramsey's and Roger all leaving the squad and then resolution coming in. But again, for a team that was really for two years, two and a half years was one of the, if not the most dominant team outside of TI. Um, it's it. It was bound to happen, especially with the results at TI9, but still a, a sad moment for the, for the CIS Dota 2 scene. But uh, well, VP now, it's, it's certainly not like it was in previous years, but uh, again, we'll continue to see how they grow. I just like to see the fact that you really learn a lot about the captain when you see these types of swaps, and I think Solo's quite a good captain, and VP this season's already come a long way compared to where they started. The, the you know, it, it's it, I compare it to when one of my favorite heroes is like really good and then he gets nerfed and he's like kind of back down to ground zero, like reset, learn how to play this new hero within their new limitations. And maybe in a few patches that hero is going to be good again. And it just hasn't gotten there yet. So it's like, you know, VP as a team kind of got nerfed, but they're they're making do with what they got. And maybe uh, Solo can kind of rally them together. You know, and uh, I think he's doing a great job of working with what he's got. By no means do I think the players are just like strictly worse. It's just like on paper, they did have five of the best players in the world. And there's a reason why they all went to good teams. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes things just don't work, man. And I, I think it's better in the long run that they cut their losses than it is for them to try to force the issue. Another roster move that took place, uh, Anna, and we'll bring him up once again. Again, we, we let's not forget, this is a player that he actually announced that he was taking a break slash semi-retiring, if I'm not mistaken. I remember even hearing that after uh, TIA took place, and um, they tried out a couple different players. PyCat and ILTW were players that ended up playing on OG throughout the season, but then Anna officially announced that he's coming back. It was in March time frame. Uh, so at that point, still, you know, three or four months before TI. But um, obviously fans as well as the team itself, I'm sure, was very happy to hear that. And and you talk about no doubt a massive reason. The whole team's so good. But Ana really is that centerpiece. I think, I'm sure no one would argue that when it comes to a, a reason why they were able to win both TI-8 and TI-9. So, it, again, it's just it's really been an interesting road to, to have a player, you know, win TI and then just basically go away and then come back halfway through the next season and then lead his team uh, to the next TI and then have them win that one as well. So certainly a big I goal. think if you replace one player on OG, they don't get top four. Sure. Like, I, I don't even think it's close. Like, I think every single player on that team is instrumental to that team being successful. And I think that that's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know. I had no other description than just awesome, in my opinion. So you think of it that way, too. It's that you got so that was March of the last season. So I guess, yeah, we have until March. Maybe they'll take off even another cycle and then eventually come back and do their thing. Yeah, I mean, year. what they do with their time, I'm not even going to judge or even question. It's like they're playing they League of Legends, guys. man. Yeah, they, they want to. <laughs> they, they can do whatever the hell they want. They've earned it, man. Whatever. Yeah. That's like that, that's how I look at it. Like the last thing I'm going to do is critique what they're doing with their time. You know, sure. like they did whatever the hell they wanted last year. And then they just walked in and won TI. So by no means am I going to have any authority to critique what OG is doing with their time. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. And of course the, the big, the big uh, change of this uh, last year 
was EG changing their logo. No. Um, <laughs> I, had to, I had to do that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, no, the roster change that took place for EG was a pretty big one. And, you know, I've, I've discussed this in the past with other co-commentators before. I think we even had a discussion when after it happened, leading in the season. The idea with EG, it just felt like that they needed to certainly change something. Specifically, it was either build a roster around Arteezy or Simeo. They chose Arteezy. You bring in, uh, obviously, that was Simeo and S4, no longer part of the team. Ramsey's and Abed actually replacing. Uh, Ramsey's, again, the really interesting one going to offlane. Abed coming from Southeast Asia, the new mid player. Uh, pretty big deal. So you kind of look back now when it happened to now and still haven't won that big event. But what do you think? Has it actually been for the better so far, or is it just not enough information yet? Where are we at? I think it's the same thing as VP. I think eventually in the long term, I don't know if it's better yet, but it's going to be better, 100%. Like that team did hit its peak. Like there, it was not going to get any better just because the limitations of the dynamic of their roster were there. They were finite. And um, even if it takes it, it, sometimes in order to grow, you got you got to sacrifice a bit in, in, in short term. And I think that as of now, they haven't reached what they were. But by the time that it matters, which is TI-10, I'm confident they will be better. All right. Well, we'll see uh, how that continues to go again, work throughout the season. And it's, man, they got to get over that hump eventually. It feels like it. So it's roster change. I don't, I, by the way, I, I didn't get the chance to watch too many of their games at uh, this event. But um, any take on Ramsey specifically in that offline role that stood out to you? or Um. I think he's coming along. I think like I kind of compare him a lot to Resolution uh, because obviously sure. both CIS, both carry players moving into the offlane role. And I think he's looking drastically better with all due respect to, to Rezo. I think mainly with Rezo, I think they're very common or very similar caliber of players. But Ramsey's seems to be very all around solid on whatever he, hero he's playing. I feel like sometimes whatever hero Rezo's playing, he just isn't looking comfortable on it. So maybe his pool is limited as of now on Ramsey's, but the heroes he is getting picked, he seems very confident on. And I can only hope for his future that he continues to grow that pool. And I think that that's the crucial step moving for him forward. All right. Well, I think that's a good, uh, good place to end the recap of 2019 and really just about to start to wrap up the show. Of course, it in almost that hour mark right here on the Wombo Combo podcast. So, uh, but, but before, it, one thing as we look forward to 2020, you know, we consider that, oh, yeah, who's going to win TI-10? Whatever, you know, let's, let's not let's not do that now. But um, something to keep in mind is that there are a couple of free agent players Again, technically, we, we're not sure about, I guess, in Samail's case, we've talked about this before, where he might still be under contract with EG in, in some way. So the fact that he hasn't been picked up by a team yet is actually suspicious and really odd there. Uh, but where will he end up? That's still a possibility that we have to think about. And then uh, mid one. Mid one was actually just officially announced today as we're doing this podcast. Uh, Team Secret. I did not know this. Yeah, he they he's no longer a part of Team Secret. Of course, he wasn't part of the official roster. He was still technically on the team as a sub, but now okay. he is inactive, or now he's again no longer part of the team. They did some some tribute video to him. It was, it was pretty cool. But point is, um, he's also on the market. 
So <laughs> that's another pretty damn good player uh, that's certainly out there. They got to think uh, these these higher end teams are going to be uh, looking to make some deals with for both Samale and mid one. So where will they end up? Only time will tell, I suppose. It seems like mid one's more focused on playing on a Southeast Asian team from what I understand. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure on that. In regards to Sumail, I, I really do think it's something on the backs, like behind the scenes with EG. And I mean, I, I've played with Sumail a lot in pubs. Like, he's just really good, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's number one support and core MMR, I believe I saw. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I, I, there's really no, there has to be. It's like when you see something wrong, it's like with your computer, right? You're going to check off is it the CPU? Is it the GPU? You know, go through the list. It's like, whether you have a player and he's not on a team, it's like, is he a piece of shit? No, okay, he's like actually like a decent guy. Is he be- like? Is it potentially skilled? No, okay. Then like at that point, it has to be something. You know? Yeah. Um, and th- it leaves really something that's not apparent to the average person in the public. That's really all it boils down to. It has to be something like that, and uh, it's kind of unfortunate. But I think it'll get solved out. I think it'll get resolved. I think somebody is either going to be willing to buy him out or yeah. the, the situation is going to sort itself out. That, 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 that's what I think it is. Like you said right there, it's it's the buyout. And we're talking about a player like Samael, again, one of the most well-known players, marketable players in all of Dota 2, any region. So I'm sure when it comes to teams interested in him, buying out that contract isn't necessarily cheap. And, and you have to obviously uh, – value that and there's not a lot of teams and organizations out there that would have even the the potential to to do so but anywho 2020 certainly going to be a great one as always especially when it comes to dota 2 as we start the new decade officially as well as a new year it's still crazy to say that but dota 2 has been awesome for this first decade here that has existed i guess oh you go back even to the previous one with dota 1 of course but in dota 2's case early again i want to say 2010 was uh, the early beta stages and uh Shortly after officially came released. It's been quite the time, but BSJ, anything else before we wrap up, man? Nah, dude, I think we've said enough, and uh, I, I'm i ready to get back into the groove of the Wombo Combo podcast, you know, get back on yeah. track, and uh, I look forward to the next minor major cycle coming up. I, I think We've already talked a bit about the teams coming up, and I, you know, I, I'm curious. What I said I believe about them, you know, that's coming a lot from what they said, and I'm curious to see who's following through and who's not. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on that note, again, every week on Monday, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, that's what we plan, obviously, with the holidays here. And PSJ being at the event, you know, we were a little bit off schedule there for these last couple of weeks, but we're still here. Hopefully looking forward to you guys tuning in. And again, next week's show, we will be previewing the minor, that the We Play Minor, that'll be starting up shortly after uh, next week's podcast right there. So look forward to that. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy New Year. And uh, we will see you in the new year of 2020 until then thanks for tuning into the wombo combo podcast hey guys it's mike as you know i adopted my pup rocky from a local rescue now when people ask me what kind of dog rocky was i was always stumped i used an embark dog dna test to decode my most puzzling questions about rocky you can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with embark the highest rated dog dna test unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.